In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Brothers, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. So again, we continue where we left off. As you remember, we're trying to build on the various arguments as we started them a few weeks ago for the existence of God. We presented two big arguments and maybe other minor ones, but the two big ones that we presented were the argument of the necessary being and the argument from design. And then we talked about the way to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the attributes. And we'll talk a little bit more about why we do that today. So we distinguish between two types of attributes. We said an attribute can be an attribute of essence. So we qualify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in himself, or it can be an attribute of action. When we qualify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through his actions, or another way to put it, through his relationship with other beings, which in God's case, those beings are his creatures, his creations. And so we said, depending on the relationship we're talking about, we're going to have a different attribute. The ones we talked about first were the attributes of essence. We said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has knowledge, power, and life. And we provided arguments for each one of those. And we said, whatever attributes we're going to come up with afterwards are going to have to be derived from those. And that was an important point. And then we went into the attributes of action. And uh, we, we gave a good long introduction, so I'm not going to repeat all the points. We spent a lot of time on that. And then we talked about creatorship. And we talked about lordship. And we said creatorship is basically going back to the same argument from the necessary being. It's in that sense. So it all basically means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the ultimate cause. That's what we meant by creatorship. And then we talked about lordship, and we said that it has two different ways. With the rest of the creatures, with the rest of creation, lordship basically means a type of guidance or taking care of guardianship that is existential. You remember that? So we said, for instance, the way the sun works or the gravity works or uh, every organ in your body works. These work almost on a, automatically. This is a, the lordship, an existential lordship, or an existential guidance, an existential way of taking care of things through the existence of the things. It's hardwired into the beings themselves. And then there's another type that only applies to beings that have free will. So those beings, they were given free will, were they left to themselves, or were they also given a type of guidance? We said they were also given a type of guidance. So this is a different type of guidance. When I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing, it's not the same way as the sun is doing what it's supposed to be doing. In my case, I get to choose if I want to do it or not. This is my free will. The sun doesn't have that. The plant doesn't have that. It does according to the way it was built. The natural laws make it do the way it's supposed to do whatever it's supposed to do. In the human being, 
there is a large part of yourself that also falls under that. It's involuntary. You do not have a say in the way your heart works or your lungs work or your stomach works or so on and so forth. But then there are other things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave you free will to see for those things in what way are you going to be using that free will. You could have been created another type of creature where you don't get to choose in that manner. In the case of a human being and you happen to have been created as a human being and been granted that free will, you've, you were also given that guidance but now that guidance is part of a test. It's part of a let's see what you're going to do. So I gave you the free will and I also told you what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to exercise that free will. So this guidance is the one we usually refer to as a legislative guidance because it's like a law as opposed to existential guidance, which is part of your existence. It's hardwired in you or in every other creature. Okay, so that's what we covered. And now we wanted to continue with the attributes of action. The last one that we did not cover last time had to do with divinity. So lordship is rububiyya. Rububiyya basically means taking care of. And that's why we're talking about guidance. What about divinity? What does it mean? This one is one of those attributes that we could talk about a lot in theory. And we're not going to. In short, divinity or uluhiyya, we can say it basically means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is worshipable. Or to say it in another way, He is worthy of being worshipped. That's the meaning of ilah. The one you worship. Uluhiyya is being worshipable. So in what way? What does it mean? It basically means if you understood everything that we've said until now, and that's why we're presenting the attributes in this manner. There's a reason. There's a logic here. If you understood what we meant when we said is it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a necessary being, is an ultimate cause, if you understood Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you want to use the other proof, the, the proof by design, the same thing, and we said the proof by design also proves a number of qualities of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or attributes right away. If you go into the attributes we've given until now, so we said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has creatorship. If Allah is the ultimate creator, if Allah is truly the guardian or the Lord of the world, then it should mean that nothing else, no one else should be worshipped. If there's anyone that could be worshipped, it is that same being. It cannot be any other being. So when we say uluhiyya, that's why uluhiyya comes after rububiyya and after creatorship. Otherwise, we're going to have to establish a whole proof on its own for uluhiyya. And that proof is going to have to include rububiyya, lordship, guardianship of the world and having created the world. But if I say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who created the world, He's the one who came up with everything that you see and everything that you don't see. And He made it work the way that we see it working. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then is the one who, in the, the way the Quran talks about it, as we said, guided it. He built it in the way 
that we today, if we wanted to apply natural science, we would say it has natural laws. The natural laws that have been put in place, they come from somewhere. They're not random. They're precise. They perform a function. Okay. So for me to come and tell you what you're supposed to do with that, I have to know exactly what you are. So if I'm your creator, if I'm the one who gave you existence, and I'm the one who built you in the way that I built you, I'm the only one who knows every intricate, nuanced part about your being. I'm the only one who should be giving you that guidance. And in the case of human beings, and it could be extended to other creatures, we're not going to talk about that. This is the worship part. So what do you do if you now know that there is this kind of entity in front of you that has given you existence, that has given you every quality, aspect, dimension of your being that you witness and being that you witness in other entities, what are you supposed to do in reaction to that? How are you supposed to be dealing with that kind of being? And generally speaking, this is what we refer to as worship. So when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is worshipable, that's what we mean. It's your recognition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only worshipable entity. The only entity that should have a true dominance over you and you recognize that dominance. Everything else that has any authority over you is only given that authority by God. Otherwise, their authority is not real. It's not true over you. In his case, it's a genuine real authority because he's a creator and he's a guider. He's a guider because he's the one who created in this manner. So when you say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only worshipable, you're saying that you recognize that the only real authority over you comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we're talking now at a very existential level, at, your, at the level of your being. It's basically extinguishing uh, kindness. Or what, what, what's, what the word, what's the word again? Existential. Existential. So it's basically uh, existential guidance. That's how he gives. That's how he gives uh, authority to people over you. It's through existential guidance, correct? Because, like, there's you just like you said. So if Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is doing it, let's say through religion, for instance. Yeah, that would be legislated. Religion is law. It's a set of things that were explained to people. This is law. Or what we call in our world law. Okay, okay? the closest thing that we know of is law to this. Okay, I would like for you to clear me the yeah. difference between the, the, the two guidances. Yeah, so the existential guidance is one that has nothing to do with what you decide. For instance, if you are the sun... The sun moves, right? The sun moves within our galaxy in a certain way. So does it move, does it decide if I want to move today or not? The way gravity works, the way a turtle comes out of its egg and knows exactly where to go, is it deciding that? Is it thinking consciously, uh, maybe I should go this way as opposed to that way? Or do all the baby turtles for the past 
You know, 10,000 years, 100,000 years, they've all been running in the same way. They hatch on the beach and they run to the ocean. Where does that come from? This is what we call existential guidance. It's not like the type of guidance that you read the Qur'an and it says, you should be a good person, and when you see someone doing harm to you, try to forgive them. That's guidance. But it's not the type, the same type of guidance that makes the baby turtle run towards the beach, to, towards the ocean when it hatches. That running is what we call existential guidance. So, so it's a guidance as part of the existence of the thing. It doesn't decide to do it or not to do it. Like you follow the law that has to do with stopping at a uh, at a red or going through a green traffic light. That's legislative. That's a law. You could decide to do it. You could decide not to do it. You're not forced to. But there's a consequence if you don't. A police officer might see you or you may get into an accident or, or, or. But that's legislative. Okay, so the legislative one is where we get our authorities from. Like, that's how God uh, gives authorities over people, over us, is through legislative guidance. Right? Yes. So it's part of an entire system. It's a social system, a political system, an economic system that we call altogether religion. Okay? Make sense? The point here is that if we take these three attributes together, so the first one is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a khaliq, creator. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a rabb, lord. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ilah. He has divinity or is worshipable. Those three together now where we reached in explaining the attributes of Allah, the existence and attributes, now we reached the minimum threshold for someone to be called a believer. If someone does not have those three, they haven't even reached, they don't have belief in those three attributes, they haven't reached the minimal threshold to be called a believer. Is that part clear? So if I don't believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all three, if I don't believe that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a creator, that he guides, and that he is the only worshipable entity, I do not fall under what I would be called muwahid. I would not have tawheed. And this is the minimal level. So if someone says, what does it mean to believe in tawheed? This is the minimum. We've now reached the minimum. We haven't talked about anything else yet. We haven't talked about religion. We haven't talked about prophethood. We haven't talked about imamah. We haven't talked about qiyamah. None of that. Just for someone to be a muwahid, the minimum that they have to know and to believe in about God are those three things. Of course, that implies that you believe in the existence of God. Now that you believe in His existence, you have to believe in those three things. That He is a creator. And of course, there's different interpretation about creation. But the ultimate creation is the point. That He has provided guidance and that He is worthy of worship. Okay? So now we've reached the minimal threshold. So what does it really mean when we say when we say someone actually believes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ilah, that he is worshipable. For instance, we have a narration from Imam Sadiq alayhi salam in which he says, if someone says, 
La ilaha illallah, which don't forget is now the slogan of our religion, right? Since the time of the Prophet, the Holy Prophet basically gave us the slogan of our religion. The heading of our religion is La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, right? Okay. The La ilaha, that's what we're talking about, the ilah now. There is no God. The reality is there is no divinity or no God, La ilaha, except the one that we believe in, Allah. If someone says La ilaha illallah with sincerity, so there's a condition, they will enter paradise. Okay, so what does that mean? The, the sincerity, the Imam explains it in the same narration. He says, and sincerity prevents him from sinning. Okay, so to say, to really understand, when I say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ilah, that he's really the worshipable one, and nothing else is worshipable, no one else is worshipable, no other desire is worshipable that I follow blindly, that I become a slave to. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has that authority over me. Then I recognize it. It means what? As the Imam says, it prevents him. He explains. So what does it mean if I say la ilaha illallah was sincere? Like I really believe it? Yeah. Really believe it means you cannot even perform, commit a sin because if you did, you wouldn't really believe that he's your ilah, that he's your worshipable entity, the only worshipable entity. Okay, so of course we're saying if someone really understood that, the highest level would be he becomes an infallible. Okay, he becomes a ma'soom. So the more I understand ilah, it's not that I understand it in theory. Ilah really means an action. What does it mean? An action, it means obedience. Worship is not that I pray, you know, 200 raka'ah or that I do a lot of fasting or I give a lot of charity. Of course, these are external manifestations, external actions and gestures that indicate that I have this belief. But deep down at the level of faith, what are we really saying? We're saying that you really recognize that the authority, the Sayyid just mentioned authority, the authority only belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You will not do anything except when you know that He is happy with that. And if you know that He doesn't want you to do something, you don't do it. Otherwise, you don't really believe that He has full authority over you. You either have doubt, you don't really believe, you know in theory, but not in your heart, this is what it really means when we say uluhiyah. Worshipable. Worship, that's what it really means. So perhaps the, the easiest way to translate it is worshipable. The Arabic words are kind of a little more difficult to translate than that. The next attribute of action is will. When we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has will, what do we mean? Will can mean two things. Or there are two ways to understand that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has irada, has will. And this is something that comes again and again in the Quran and the Ruayat that Allah has will. There's a restricted way, a smaller way to understand will, and a more broad way. Will can mean the desire, the love, the liking of something, 
the leaning towards something. You read, I read, right? And it could also mean the intent to perform an action. The intent to perform an action, what's the object of that? Where is it directed? It doesn't concern anyone else. If I intend to perform an action, the object of my intention is only my action. If we say that will is more the leaning towards, the irada is a leaning towards, a liking, a love, then that is not limited to performing an action. It can include my actions, but it doesn't need to stop there. It can include your actions, and it can include your existence, and it can include my existence. So what would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lean towards? What would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want or desire? What would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like or love? What would it be? In the words of the philosophers, they call it perfection. In our words, we would refer to it as absolute good, absolute goodness. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala leans towards himself and he leans towards his own actions. So what, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala love? The first thing is he loves himself. In ancient philosophy, they used to say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm not saying it's true or it's right, but he would say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the thought thinking itself, right? Aristotle used to say nothing is worthy of being thought about by the mind of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala except himself. Why? Because he's absolute good or absolute perfection. He's complete in every way. Okay, so that part makes sense. So then where does the rest of creation fall into? Well, the rest of creation is his creation. They're his traces. They're his actions. So he loves his actions because they are his. If he is absolute good, if he's absolute completeness, if he's absolute perfection, his action is like him. The action that comes out of a being resembles that being. And in the case of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his actions resemble him, are like him. Things that exist are like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that they are his creatures. So if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala likes a creature, we forget about the actions of the creature for an instant. Let's talk about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as desiring, loving, wanting. What is he basically looking at? He's looking at the existence of those things. Where does it come from? It comes from him. When we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves everything, when we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you and loves everyone and loves nature and loves... What do we mean? Why? It's because we're his actions. We come out of him. We're nothing except his action, traces of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Except that there are creatures, again, like we said, that have free will. So let's look at the creatures that don't have free will for a second. And then we'll talk about the ones that have free will. The ones that don't have free will, as we said, they've been given existential guidance. 
they, they're hardwired to act in a certain way. Those actions are basically the ones that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hardwired into them. Right? So those actions, by default, are loved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are working the way they're supposed to work. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Okay. Now let's go to the other type of creature. The ones that do have free will. So the creatures that do have free will, as we said, a part of them, like me for instance, there's a part of me that doesn't have free will. The way my heart works, the way my lungs work, the way my stomach works. I don't have free will over those. Right? It functions on its own like it's supposed to. That action, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves it. There's no issue about that. It's His creature. It's His creation. It's His trace. But then He gave me a window of free will, of freedom. This is where I have to apply the guidance that He gave me. So when I say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves someone, it could mean two things. I'm talking about the part that doesn't have to do with their free will. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves everybody the same in that way. That part is clear. And our scholars say this is the meaning of Rahman. That mercy that everybody gets, that's what it is. All creatures get it in the same way. They're all his traces, his creations, his actions. This is the part that is involuntary. It doesn't have free will. For the creatures that have free will, in the part that they have free will, where you do have free will, you get to choose. What are you going to do with that free will? If you choose what he asked you to do, then your actions is going to be loved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you choose not to do that, of course that action is not going to be loved. You fall under the other attribute of action, which we're not going to talk about now, but that's sakhap, that's anger, that's the one requiring punishment. You're voluntarily outside of where the love is directed, where the will in that sense is directed. Okay. Now we have to add one more thing. Just like we said before about guidance being existential and legislative. Now we have to talk about will. Will is also legislative and existential. In what sense? If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala really wills something, really wants something, does it happen or is it possible that it doesn't happen? It has to happen. If we understood everything we've said until now, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills something, if he yurid something, as the Quran says, إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا If he has irada of anything, he says to it, be and it is. Okay. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants something, yurid, arada, it happens right away. Right? Okay. 
But we have to add here a nuance. This is one type of irada. And this is the type that we call existential. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants existentially, hardwired, as we said, at the level of existence, not at the level of the law that I get to choose or not choose, at the level of existence, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants something to exist, or to exist in a certain way, then it will exist in that way. That's existential will. Sometimes there is a will, but the will is not existential. The will is legislative. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts a law in place, but He doesn't impose it on you. He doesn't force you to pray. He gives you the law and leaves it up to you. There is a will. There is an irade. But it's not existential. If it was existential, you wouldn't have a choice to pray. Be and it is. That's existential. The legislative is, I want it. I do want it. But I'm not going to force you. And there's going to be a consequence. You may go to hell for that. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, do you have the freedom to do it or not? You do. You feel it directly in yourself that you have the freedom to perform the action or not perform the action. There is will, but this is legislative will. Okay, so now let's take uh, an example. There is a will, for instance, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I know that I have to pray. I decide not to pray. If I decide not to pray, how do we talk about will there? What happened? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants me to pray and I decide not to pray. So is his power limited or what? It's a legislative will. It's not an existential will. If I go to Ashura and Karbala and I see that there are people who are about to kill Imam Hussein alayhi salam. And they end up killing him. When we look at those events, did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala want those events to happen or not? Was his will that those events happen or not? What's the answer? What's the question? So if we go to Karbala and we see those people about to kill Imam Hussain and do everything that we know happened afterwards. Can we say that this was Allah's will that this happens? If it happened, I guess it did. What's the legislative will? What's the legislative will? Like uh, people fighting him, like they were not his. They did the opposite of his legislative will, and the people defending him did exactly his legislative will. Okay, so that's the legislative will, but it still happened. Yes. So what else do we say? Which one? His, uh, his other one. His existential will. So this is the reason. We're not in the reason yet. Okay? We just want to see what do we say about God's will. So that's exactly it. 
if anything happens in the universe, anything at all, it's because that was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's existential will, that it happens. There was an irada taqweeniya that it happens. Allah allows you to do things existentially. He gives you the power to do things. He enables you to do things. Legislatively, He may not want you to do them, but He gave you the freedom to do it or not. Otherwise, there's no freedom. And He didn't give that to all creatures. He chose some creatures that He gave that to. If it happens, anything, if it happens, it means there was an existential will. There was an existential desire from Allah that it happens. That's the kun fayakun. If it happens, there was a divine existential will. It doesn't mean there was a legislative will. The legislative will was that it doesn't happen. But the legislative will is simply our freedom. He gave us the choice. He gave you the choice to drink or not drink. He doesn't want you to drink legislatively. But existentially, He allows you to do it. There's an existential will. He gives you the power, the ability to do it. Yes. Uh, uh, can't you argue that everything would be then uh, kind of uh, existential? We don't, we don't have free will. That even what we choose is already predicted by God. Like even if we or have like, free will, at the end of the day, God knows what we're going to choose to do. So that it's still existential. Okay, so this, this is mixing up a lot of issues together. We're going to get to that. But the issue of divine knowledge, we're not there yet. We're going to get there where we're going to talk about freedom, freedom of will, freedom of choice, predestination, predeterminism, all of that. We'll talk about that when we start talking about divine justice. The kind of world that we live in. Does it have justice or not? What does it mean when we say we think we have free will? Do we really have free will or not? Can we have free will if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala already knows what we're going to do or not? All of that under the heading of divine justice. We're going to come to that soon in a couple of lectures. What we're talking about now is the power to do or not to do. Okay? So for me to have the power to sin, yes, if I actually sin, it means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed me to sin. He willed me to sin. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to. Nothing has a power, an authority, an independence of its own. We don't. All the power comes from Him. He has to give me the power to sin. And He has to give me... But it doesn't mean He forces me to. He's, not, he's giving me the power to sin and not to sin. But if I sin, He allowed me to sin. That's not saying he forced me to sin. He didn't force me. He gave me, he gave me the money to do whatever I want with. That doesn't mean he's forcing me to buy or not to buy. He gave me the power to do or not to do. He gave them the power to kill Imam Hussein or not kill Imam Hussein. He allowed them to kill. Legislatively, he said, it's haram. It's prohibited. You're not allowed to do it. I don't want you to do it. If you do it, you go to fire. But I'm going to allow you to do it because I'm giving you freedom of choice. 
so would it, would I be correct to consider that everything in the past is ex existential, existential will, and everything in the future where the free will is is legislative will? So when you say everything, what do you mean? I mean like I prayed yesterday. Yeah. That's existential will. If you prayed or didn't pray, the power to do so is existential. Yes. If to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's existential will. That you do or don't do. But in the future, like, the Fajr is legislative will. Like, to, like in the law. Hours. Legislative will is basically the law. That's it. So it's the future, basically. Yeah. But everything in the past is existential will. You could look at it that way. But it's not really that way. If, well, if we... Look at it that way, okay, the, the real way it is, is... Of course, if every if something already happened, then we're talking about the past, and of course it happened. So to have happened, Allah allowed it to happen. That there's no issue there. Mm -hmm. But regardless of it's the past or the future, for something to happen, it must be Allah's existential will. Exactly. Regardless of when it is. Okay, I see. So rules, okay, that's one. It's basically just the rules. The rule. That's it. What does Allah want you to do? Want you? Want you legislatively? What laws does he want you to follow? That's legislative will. Which? What does he want you not to do? That's legislative will. Yes. Okay, so, but like you said, okay, so it's the legislative will. He's giving us the power to, for example, gave him the power to kill Muhammad or not, right? Right. But then they ended up doing it. Yes. So because they did it, Allah willed that to happen. Yes. Like, Existentially. Willed that in what way? Willed that in the sense of, that's why I keep saying it in different ways, willed that in the sense that he gave them the, the power to do it. He enabled them to do it. But if he existentially willed it to happen, yes. wouldn't that mean he wanted it to happen? If they wanted that to happen, of course. No, that's the freedom of choice. Not they, him. No, no, he's not forcing them. No, I understand. He's allowing he, them. He allowed them. Yeah. Because it happened, yeah. it means he wanted it. To, he's not going to let something happen if he doesn't want it to happen. Right? What he wants to happen is the freedom. Oh, okay, okay, okay. What he wants to happen is the freedom to choose. And he will give you everything you need to choose. So if you choose, he gave you the power to kill or not to kill. Yes, he willed. That's his will. But he also told you what to do and what not to do. That's also his will. So you can't go back Yom Al-Qiyamah and say you willed it. Yeah, of course, I allowed you to do it. It doesn't mean I told, I told you not to do it. You could have not done it. You had no reason to do it. Because I keep wanting to say, okay, but why did he let it happen? You know what I mean? Like that's my, that's to my see what we do. And that's the freedom of choice. If he limits that and doesn't let it happen, then there's no freedom. The freedom is not what I intend to do or what I would do in an imaginary situation. It's what I actually do when I'm in it. And that's why we have in our ruayat that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you intend to sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't punish you. You're not accountable for that wanting to sin. Because you haven't done it yet. He's giving you a chance until the last second, until you actually do it. And then, now it became real. Whereas we also have in our ruayat that if you intend to do a good action, 
you actually get reward for that intention. So it's a lot more generous on the side of the reward than it is on the side of punishment. Okay? So these, these were the uh, important points I wanted to mention quickly. I'm not going to go into more detail about intention. Yes? Just to clarify, when you, you know, you talk about existential, like, existential guidance, that is, that is the same thing you're talking about right now? Like when you're talking about existential... Yeah, but now we're talking about another angle. Now we're talking about what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants and doesn't want. The first one we're saying what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides in terms of care of the world. The guidance of the world. So yes, the guidance that he provides looks like a law for the legislative. That's one attribute. That's one quality of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he takes care of the world in that way. That he provides existential guidance and that he provides legislative guidance to the creatures that have that to whom he's given free will. Even in that, he didn't let them be. He could have led them with just a let's say reason. But no, he gave them reason, he gave them intuition, he sent them prophets, he sent them scriptures, right? This is the external guidance. This is the legislative guidance. Now that's one topic. It's over that topic. Now we move to another topic. Another quality of Allah. That quality is Allah's wants or will. When Allah wills, what does it mean? So that will could be existential and it could be legislative. Legislative means He gives you the laws. We're not saying that the laws are there to guide you. Yes, they are, but that was another attribute. Now we're looking at the law from another angle. We're looking at what does Allah want. We're not talking about the guidance. The guidance was one angle, and that's an attribute that we called rububiyyah. Now we're talking about irada, Right? And if you don't understand this, and you mess them up, then you don't understand why the world works the way it does. The other attributes, and I'm not going to go further, we're at 45 minutes now. Linked to this one, we keep going, we would talk about wisdom, we would talk about the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and we would talk about truthfulness. So this is what's coming. I just want to say a couple of things quickly about attributes and then we'll stop. The first thing that maybe I didn't emphasize enough is why are we spending time on the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? One thing to keep in mind so that it doesn't become a long discussion quickly. One thing to keep in mind. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the type of being that He is, we cannot understand him as, as he is, as he is. It's impossible. There are things that the human mind cannot really comprehend. You cannot really get into it and understand it. You're limited with your life experience and what you can come up with rationally. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not fit any of that. So the essence of Allah is unreachable, unaccessible to us. But there is something else we can do to try to understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is understanding His attributes. And that's what we're doing. That's why we're spending a bit of time talking about the attributes of Allah. Our only way to understand 
who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. What kind of God is it? Is by understanding the attributes. By looking at Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from different angles. We're doing it very quickly here. But I think it gives you a good idea of the main attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then that will become the foundation for what we're going to say next. And that was the second point. So the importance of the attributes is that there is no other way to understand Allah except through the attributes. That's one. The second point. The second point is that even people who believe in God, they don't all believe in the same God. For instance, <clears throat> one way to believe in God is called deism. Or believing in an impersonal God. Or believing that nature is God. The forces of nature are God. The universe itself is God. God is all the forces of nature together. But it's not the God that you can worship. And it's not the God that you can talk to. And it's not the God that cares about you. These are two different gods. One of them is the one we call the personal God. And the other one is the impersonal God, the non-personal. This non-personal God couldn't care less about you. You're just another entity like every other entity in the universe. He's not a worshipable God. And that's why sometimes they say the God of science or the God of philosophers is often the impersonal God. When we start understanding the attributes of Allah, the ones that we talked about and the ones that we're going to talk about, the three next ones, we have a very personal God that comes out of that. A God that you worship is not the same as a God you don't worship. A God that you have a personal relationship with is not the same as a God who is just forces of nature. And if you go back to some scientists and some scholars and philosophers like Spinoza and Einstein and others, the majority of them, they believed in the impersonal God. And in their minds, this is why they accept Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but they don't become religious. For them, the world does not make sense without a God, but it's not the God of religions. It's not a, the God that we're, as we talk about, inshallah, it's not the God of truthful speech that we're going to talk about. The next attributes, as we said, the next one is going to be wisdom, which has to do with how does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala act, and then speech, and then truth. And that will be it for the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then we'll move on to another topic. When we put all of these attributes together, it gives you the personal God. That's what we're trying to do. So when you think about it, you easily connect right from the existence of Allah to what type of God it is. So if someone comes and says, I believe in pantheism, I believe that the universe and God are one thing. We're all part of God. We are God and God is us. You see where, to what extent you agree with that and to what extent you disagree with that. You understand where you are in opposition to this. Okay? وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم صل على محمد